Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Josh Johnson is a stand-up comedian writer from Louisiana who began his comedy career in Chicago. Since moving to New York City, he has performed on late-night TV via Conan, The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon, Kevin Hart presents Heart of the City, Netflix's The Comedy Lineup, and a half-hour special on Comedy Central. He's written for The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon and currently writes for The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. In June 2021, Johnson releases two major projects, an ambitious 33-track mixtape called Elusive and his debut hour special, Trevor Noah Presents Josh Johnson, hashtag, hashtag, which premieres on Comedy Central before moving to Paramount+. Plus. Johnson caught up with me over Zoom to talk about the problems and opportunities afforded by the COVID pandemic, including the making of his mixtape and his special, as well as what we might expect or hope for the comedy industry as a whole coming out of the pandemic. So let's get to it! So, Josh Johnson, uh, last things first, congratulations on both the mixtape and the Comedy Central special. Oh, they're thank both, you. They're both kind of intertwined, right? Yeah. The only way that they're slightly intertwined is that both of them touch on a little bit of the pandemic, because I felt like, how could you not? So, there, there's there's more pandemic-related things in Elusive. And then the special has a little bit of content that at least gives a nod to the thing that we all went through. It would it would have felt very tone deaf to not. Okay. Well, then I definitely want to ask you this before anything else. Um, as someone who is prone to fainting, tell mm. me tell me about your tell me more about your fainting. I I was told myself that I suffer from vasovagal syncope. Oh which wow! Is a, which is a specific kind of fainting. Yeah. Yeah. Have, have that. You, so I have never been given a, a diagnosis with a scientific word. I just get called a bitch. Like <laughs> I, I wish that I had a thing that I could point to where it's like, no, a doctor told me, but I, I don't have that at all. I basically have had several situations where like seeing seeing a lot of blood like i'm okay actually with blood like if i cut myself or if i see another person get a cut that doesn't freak me out but seeing like a lot of blood like like seeing anything that is enough that a person that that i that a person's like immediate health is in question mm. makes me like oh yeah i think i'm gonna pass out <laughs> and then uh <laughs> And then it's also, this is the worst thing about it. So I feel like, and I, tell me how you feel about this. I mm -hmm. feel like there's a distinction between fainting and passing out. Because passing out, you're out. Mm -hmm. Fainting, you wake up just in time to be embarrassed about just having passed out. Like, like when, when a person truly passes out, it's like, okay, we're going to have to wake them back up. Fainting is like you dozing and then being like, oh, oh, oh. Like that to me is more of what I do. Oh, well, I, does yours, when you faint, does it freak out the people around you? It has. Like it, like it won't every time, but it, it definitely has before. Like that, like I Mine think. Mine does. Mine does. 
Yeah, because they're I also, like scared for me. Like, what happened? Yeah, like, I don't know. I was out. You tell me what happened. Right, because this is the thing with with fainting in a public setting. Depending on how you do it, because that's the other distinction for me between fainting and passing out, because I've seen someone pass out at like at a party or just in public and they just fell like hard and they were just out. I I more melt than fall. I'm more I'm like, oh, (laughs) and like you can see me going out for a little bit while I'm going out. Mm -hmm. Does. okay? so does this. You mentioned the blood. Does it ever manifest itself in a stressful situation, such as filming an hour special for Comedy Central or interviewing for a job with Jimmy Fallon or Trevor Noah? No. So not not in those situations, luckily. That would if I yeah, if I had to wear on my sleeve how nervous or stressed I was, I would probably be out the whole time. I would wake up and be like, Are you are they still here? <laughs> No, I think that for the most part, I'm I'm trying to think of a time outside of like, but if I get really hurt, it'll happen. Mm-hmm. Like, like if I like run into something, uh, it'll it'll manifest itself pretty quickly. <laughs> I think my body is like, you don't need to be awake for this part of the pain. Right. You're gonna have the it's- you're gonna have the lump on your head tomorrow. You don't really need to be around for the whole thing. That's how I look at it. It's, it's your body is looking out for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 well, the last time it happened for me was in a doctor's office because anytime it happens half of the times that they take blood for me. So, mm. I, so I have to tell them every time. Yeah. Because I don't know which time it's going to be. Yeah. So the last time it happened, I prepared them. They're like, okay. And then even after it happened, I woke, I woke up and instead of the one person taking my blood, there were now like four people surrounding me with this frantic look on their face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's enough about me. I want to I talk all about you. And the last time we talked, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, the last time we did an interview like this was not on Zoom, but it was in public in an yeah. outdoor space. Yep. We met in Bryant Park. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember. <laughs> and so one of the questions I asked you, this was four years ago. This was the summer of 2017 that we talked. And I said, where do you see yourself five years from now? And I'm going to quote from you. I won't ask you to uh, to read your own quote. You said, I plan on releasing my hour special with a companion album to it and having a couple of shows on TV. Some I may be in, some I may not. I really like writing for TV. And I've got a couple projects that I'm really excited about that are in the beta stage right now. I plan to really push out in the next couple of years, hopefully next year, without having a specific date. I've been working on a book for a while, trying to collaborate with people as much as possible. You'll see me slip in. You'll see me permeate. You'll see me edge my way in. It's hopefully going to come with open arms. I don't, yeah, has that happened yet? Is that... (laughs) Well, we've got we've got the special. We've got a companion album. Uh, you're writing for TV, mm-hmm. so you're doing pretty well. Yeah, I guess like three out of five isn't bad, you know. <laughs> yeah, but when I when I talked to you back then, you you didn't really you hadn't really started your career with any sort of a five-year plan or anything like that. I was kind of more yeah. prompting you to kind of speculate on your future. So 
how do you feel like everything's really coming together at this point for you? Yeah, I felt like mainly I didn't want to be embarrassed the next time we talk, so I should probably get on all that stuff, you know? <laughs> so it was inspiration for you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, basically the the pandemic, the one thing that I will say about being in lockdown, quarantine, whatever you want to call it, is that it did give me the final push I needed to work on things that I was either scared to work on or felt like weren't ready or I didn't have the right relationships or whatever, because... I don't know about you, and I should. I, I'm pointing out specifically. I did not get COVID, but I definitely thought I might die last year. Like I, like mm. I, it, to me, it felt like guys. If there's, if there is an airborne thing, an airborne virus that you could get that could kill you, I already don't. I I get the stomach flu every time it's going around, so I'm definitely gonna get this. Like like this, I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna die. And like and and you know, rather than just panicking or like curling up in a ball, I was like taking that that very real feeling that I had in the back of my head and just using it to like, well, I've always wanted to reach out to this person and work with them and see if they if they would like to collaborate with me. And I've always wanted to write and. Um, uh, co-produce music and so let me just try to do all these things before i die and then thank god i didn't die but it was it was that final push that i really needed because like i was taking it super seriously and even then i got i only got sick twice last year but Ooh. both times i got sick i was like this is it this is <laughs> right because well that's the thing about about covid19 is that because it's a brand new illness uh, virus, we don't, not only do we not know anything about it, but even the scientists themselves have been learning as they go through this pandemic. So mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it really inspired a whole variety of emotions in people. I'm, 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 uh, I'm impressed that you took it the way you did because a lot of people just kind of shuttered up didn't do anything. Yeah. And I think that the, the response was mostly, I don't know if there's any real like <laughs> valor or virtue to be pulled from it because it's just my way of coping with things is to stay busy. So then it was like, all right, well, if you're going to, you know, if I'm going to die, let me go ahead and die with, uh, with, with some things on the plate, you know, like, it, and that, and that's just the, the way that, I am, I wouldn't necessarily tell anyone that's the way that they needed to be or anything because I, I have even lost people who, you know, with, with family or, or, or someone else that they, the person that was the closest to the person that we lost did kind of just go into an, a depression and didn't really want to do much or talk to anybody or anything. And I was like, Hey, you, you have to do the things that feel right to you and you have to feel everything as it comes. And so, you know, it may have not necessarily been the exact way I would have handled it, but anyone who used 2020 as a year off, I more than applaud because I think especially in an American culture, we're specifically taught not to do that and never take breaks. And who are you um, unless you're hustling, unless you're grinding, unless you're building something? What's your net worth? Have you invested in Bitcoin yet? So I think that 2020 was a it made us do something that was inherently un-American, which was slow down and, and be alone with ourselves and our thoughts and it, it, you were forced to because even if you wanted things to open up like even when that whole michigan thing was going down it's like 
Yeah, I mean, the protest is the only thing to go to today. I guess that's why there were so many people there. Like, yeah, you can't get a haircut, you know? You have to just sit there and be alone with your hair. Right. Well, with comedy, it was it was also uniquely different because comedy, you need the audience. And when the club's closed, you know, sure, we're talking on Zoom, but that's mm-hmm. a, but that can be successful. <laughs> comedy shows on Zoom, it's it's a little bit different when you're not on stage with a spotlight on you in a dark crowd when you're just in your apartment. Yeah, and squares. also, all you really get from a lot of Zoom shows, I did plenty of Zoom shows that were actually very good and were the closest feeling to feeling like a like you know a real in-person show. But the thing that Zoom shows are very good for were to let you know if your structure was there because, right. you know, even if you can't be in person to do the act out in someone's face, your word, your word choice, your like cadence and your timing can still come through. So I did a lot of Zoom shows and that was actually what helped in preparation for Elusive was just doing all of these, doing any amount of time I could get in front of any amount of people was was worth it to get that in product. And then luckily by the time I was practicing for the special, I was actually able to get up in person a lot more. And so I think that that just made the entire difference. Yeah, it, you just remind me, of, like, even in the before times and, and now, the future times, uh, like, even open mics and bringer shows are have value when you're working on new material. Like, that's yeah. Why, like, when I think of, like, uh, New York headliners like Jim Gaffigan, like, he's always gone to every show in New York, no matter how small or trivial it may be, because you still get the the sense of, like, the joke structure and the, and the cadence and all that, even if the crowds are horrible yeah, and everything and I, else around it, it's not good. Absolutely. You can still figure out the joke. Because I also feel like one of the things that, that happens is that in, as you do something long enough, you want to start avoiding those bad experiences. And once people know you, you want to build up a bit of a mystique around yourself that, you know, like I've never seen this person bomb or they always do well or whatever that thing is. And I gotta, I gotta be honest that the, the people who stay relevant and stay the best are people who are willing to put themselves out there relentlessly and, and not be better than too many things. There are some things that I think every comic is better than. And I think that there's like, you know, there there are certain situations that are so bad that you can't get anything from it, you know? And so those shows, yeah, you want to get, you want to get both good enough and known enough to never have to do those shows again. But anything that you can reap a bit of fruit from is worth doing, no matter how few audience members there are, as long as they're into it and, you know, attentive and willing to laugh, then you can get as much from four people as you can 400. Cause if anything, the 400 is just a victory lap. Like that's just, <laughs> that's just you. People love you already. So then you're just being you for people who already love you. It's like, it's such a, a playback loop of your success that I think that sometimes doing a drop in spot, like you say, Gaffigan does on some of these shows where there's only 14 audience members is like, oh, yeah, but he now knows that like that joke is going to kill with everybody because it, it grabbed a room of 14 people who were only kind of into it. Right. So in March of 2020, 
how far along were you in terms of building the material that would become hashtag? Um, Did you have any of that stuff already? Nah. <laughs> nah. Not yet. Because it, it, a lot of it is about my experiences through the pandemic, and a lot of it is about my relationship. I mean, the core of the special is the relationship that I have with social that was exacerbated by the pandemic. So I, I don't even think I was experiencing the things to write about just yet when I... um when I went into March of 2020 and the same thing kind of goes for elusive because elusive also has those nods to the fact that this is the, the craziest thing about the pandemic is that it's the first thing that's ever happened. That's happened to everybody. Like that's, that's never happened before. Even, even the plague only happened to like two thirds of the world. And I say only that's a lot of people, but still there were whole countries that if you look through their history the plague is just not a part of their story whereas even though it only touched some people and some people were rich enough or, or in any way well off enough to not be as affected by it as as other people i i know it it, it sort of exacerbated the already like daunting inequality in a lot of countries but but it was the first thing that everyone was going through in their own way so the same way that you know you're a baby that turns into an adult and you have growing pains. This was like a growing pain for the entire earth. And it's something that a lot of people didn't think we would get past. So I felt like in both projects, it was worth touching on from a couple of different angles because how can you not, you know, it's, it's, it's one of the first things where by being specific, you're being broad and universal. It's also the first pandemic where, we're also painfully aware that it's not just happening to us because yeah. in, those, in those previous examples, whether it's the plague or even 1918, the, the flu that, that ravaged a lot of the world then, you know, people weren't experiencing it outside of their local communities. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they might've called it the Spanish flu, but, but if you were in Cleveland, you might not have known why it was called the Spanish flu. Yeah. <laughs> just yeah. Been like this thing sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas yeah. like you're talking about, you know, experiencing life through social media, you know, you end up seeing the ravages that it's doing everywhere. And sometimes Absolutely. You, you can do it from the comfort of your own privileged apartment. <laughs> yeah. But, but where, where yeah, you but, have, where you have seamless bringing in food seamlessly. <laughs> Absolutely. But yeah, then you, then you have to, really take stock of yourself and your life and how important it is to you to make a difference in that situation. Like to, yeah, exactly to your point. I think that, you know, 1918 people are like, Oh, I can help the people that live near me, but yeah. How, how do I send money to another country? How is that? How's that going to work? Do I just mail it and hope for the best and hope somebody that needs it gets it or, and so I think that the other thing with social is that, there was, and no one really touched on this past the couple months it was happening, but we're so addicted to a specific viewpoint when it comes to social and putting our best foot forward and taking in all of the FOMO situations from other people that 
there were influencers that were posting old pictures for like all of March. Cause even though they weren't traveling, they were doing these photo dumps of them traveling. Like they were still traveling. So right. then people were like, are you actually like, are you actually like on a yacht right now? And they're like, Oh no. It's like, Oh, then why would you post that? Like people are <laughs> like, everyone lost their job in my neighborhood. Like how, how tone deaf do you have to be? But I think that that is, that is a great indication of, how people had such a clinging to normalcy in whatever way possible. But then also they, they, they have to address the fact that life is not normal right now. And so it felt like I should have at least a few jokes in anything I was putting out that was about what was happening. So I, I, you know, have done a few sets that have been taped or put out or whatever since that, uh, start of the pandemic and I don't know if I would keep talking about it. I think that the next thing that I tape or record isn't necessarily going to have any references to masks or uh, you know vaccine or quarantine or anything like that because I think I've done as much of it as I'm going to do but it just felt like these were the right two projects to really dig deep. And, and I'm, I'm impressed that you did that in multiple projects, as I have learned in this conversation, <laughs> that there's separate, oh, yeah, yeah. separate projects. It's kind of like you're the, uh, the Taylor Swift of, of stand-up comedy. Oh, maybe. Is that, is yeah. that good? She put, out, <laughs> she put out two. Like, people were already kind of, like, flabbergasted when she put out the first album in the pandemic. And like, wow, this is great. And you did all this in quarantine? And then, like, a month later, she put out a second one. And like, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, making yeah, us yeah. all look bad now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I guess you'd be like the Taylor Swift slash Childish Gambino. There we go. That I guess I guess that's good. I I'm not as familiar with Taylor's work, so then that's why I'm like I don't know what that means at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I I you know we've we've spoken in the past about your career, so I know about your your comedy bona fides. But I wasn't aware of your musical bona fides until I listened to Elusive. What, what kind of what kind of childhood background did you have in music? Or? So this is the this is the main thing because everything with Elusive has been a learning experience, and even for you know it feels weird calling people my fans, but I think even for people who are fans of me, is that I'm not like on no track in Elusive am I singing. I specifically am collaborating with people that I've always looked up to or always wanted to collaborate with to make these tracks. So I'm co-writing and co-producing, but I'm not specifically singing on Elusive. And I think that the the background that led to that was that I always loved, even though I didn't get to go to that many concerts growing up in Alexandria, Louisiana, I always had such a fascination with artists and with musicians that that collaborated to make a piece of of work together you know and i always wanted to be involved in that do that and you know maybe one day there'll be some performing in there but for the most part i just wanted to work with people who i've always really admired and from the time when even i was living living in louisiana and just sort of taking in music randomly working at the college's um radio station i got a hold of some work by mike realm and I've just always loved him, what he makes, all that stuff. 
And so I reached out to him. He was the first person I reached out to for Elusive and was just talking it over with him and told him my idea for it and how I felt like it had never been done before. And, you know, was like, would you want to do a track or would you want to really run this with me? And he was like, I'd love to, you know, executive produce, which is what I was hoping. And so from there, we we became partners in in the way of like, how does the album uh, sequencing go and what should we do as far as sequencing for this mixtape? Because I was learning about album sequencing at the same time as we're making songs together. So it was such a, a deep dive and such a plunge immersively into the whole process of making music for me because I wasn't coming from a producing background or even a, a performance background when it came to music. You know, you, 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 admire the choir at church and that's about it and mm-hmm. so this was this was all happening at once which is what felt so crazy and it's also why i feel so lucky to be working with like mike realm and wayne tucker and and Groovebox, uh who's my friend from chicago but he did four tracks for the the mixtape and honestly his tracks him and wayne basically create the whole first arc of the mixtape so i'm just so so thankful that I got to work with everybody because they're truly like incredible artists. What else did you have to learn technically to put it together? Um, I had to learn at least I'm still not great with terms. Like I still basically make sounds to describe what I'm talking about, but I had to learn how to communicate with, with musicians and how to ask for changes especially in the written word, ask for changes that may not fully make sense. Because at the same time that I'm learning how to make edits, I'm also making these artistic choices. And then I'm trying to capitalize on the choices that they've made. So building all that language up and using it to communicate and and just make something together was was maybe one of the other learning curves I had to do. Did you uh, do stuff in Pro Tools or GarageBand yourself, or did you have somebody else do so, that, part, that stuff? No, no. So that that's where a lot of what Mike did came in because you know we had uh, Point Lobo who mix and master all of the tracks, comedy and and music, and then we have uh, Mike on the front end. If unless someone brought in their whole track and it's like here are the stems from the track and we want to play with this or we want to turn some of this down up whatever um you know my basic function when it came to any sort of co-production was no lots of notes lots of suggestions for changes and then running that stuff by mike making sure i was even making sense and then we you know we'll we'll together see if something needs to be slowed down or um or like sped up to a certain degree at least and so I was not specifically taking someone's stems and putting them in logic or pro tools or something and then sending them back to them. It was all like a deeply collaborative process. Was it because of the pandemic? Was it easier in fact to find your, your chosen collaborators to to work with since everybody had more time on their hands? I think it was, I think it made the whole difference. I think if I had hit up with, without, Without selling myself short, I think if I had hit up all of these people in any other year, I don't, I don't see how I would have got them all. 
I just don't see. And I think that the beautiful thing that came out of it is that now we're going to keep working together. So then there's going to be future projects with Mike EPing and Groovebox, and you know, I want to work with Wayne again. Like like all that stuff is actually still going to happen. And I think it's going to happen through the introduction of working on this project, everyone being so great to work with, but it, it all came about because everyone was available, you know? And you've been uh, working on the daily show this whole time that you've been doing that too, or? Yeah. Yeah. So we, we were actually, I, I believe we were the first show to come back virtually, like, you know, in the social distancing show. Mm-hmm. We're, um, at what point did you actually move from the tonight show to the daily show? Um, in 2017 is when I started at daily show and yeah, towards the end of 2017. And I was at the tonight show until the end of 2016. So yeah, I had a, I had like half a year where I was basically like floating around. I did a pilot and was just touring and stuff before I got settled into daily show. How did you make that move? Because those are, while they're in the same time slot for a couple minutes of overlap, they're such different approaches to late night. So how do yeah. you that? So basically, yeah, I, <laughs> okay. You ever, you ever take a leap of faith and you're like, ah, probably should the, you probably, mm, what'd you do? Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a pilot with comedy central and was like, man, this is in my head. I was like, this is it. This it this mm, on my way, mm-hmm. and so you know, obviously I had this really great relationship at Tonight Show, which is how I was able to do stand up on Tonight Show even after I left. But I, you know, was like, let me put everything into this into this pilot, and so I did, and you know, we we went and we filmed, and it, I had a blast, and I got to do it with my friends, which was even more amazing. And then you know, you wait next to the foe for a little bit and then one day you're like what did i do oh my god (laughs) and so then i just you know went about my way i kept touring and uh kept working on different things and was even i i think that if elusive wasn't going to happen in 2020 it was maybe gonna almost something like it was going to happen in in 2017 to a degree because you know, I had these people who I'm like, man, I really love this person's vibe and the art that they put out and everything. And then I got uh, an opportunity to audition for uh, the opposition with Jordan Klepper. And even though I didn't get it, someone was like, you should do a daily show packet. And so I did. And they liked it and brought me in for an interview. And then I got hired. Uh, so then how how much did that end up influencing Trevor's decision to put his name on a hour special for you? I, that's a good question. I, I don't even know. I think that would definitely be a, a, a question for him then, because I, <laughs> I have well, no idea. Didn't you have, I mean, a con- it, didn't you have a conversation with him? No, I mean, I know like, he, you know what? I, you deserve it. You deserve an hour. I know you didn't get that pilot, but let's give you an hour. Yeah, I mean, I know he knows that I'm funny and, you know, I look to him as as a as a mentor and everything. But, yeah, I don't I don't really know if there was an exact moment or a, I don't know if there was a thing or, you know, I think that it's it's 
it's a, a testament to how much he cares about comedy and how much he cares about um, helping people along and helping people climb the ladder because, you know, I it's one of the reasons that I look to him as a as a mentor because he's had the right attitude and been smart every step of the way of his career. And so, you know, if you just look to him as the blueprint, you'd be doing all right, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's that's my that's my takeaway at all times where I'm whether I'm like we're working on Daily Show or we're on tour or even with the special, you know, I had a lot of of um thoughts of like i always take his advice to heart and and he's been very generous with it so you know i think that that has influenced my my career beyond measure what conversations did you have either with him or with the production team or comedy central in terms of the timing of it because you're you're one of the first like indoor big tapings to happen in New York city this year? Um, you know, I think that, um, let me think about how to answer. Like, like the, the, the main thing is that uh, like a lot of people can't, couldn't possibly know, but, um, the people who bought tickets knew we were supposed to do the special like March of twenty. 20. It was like like uh, April of 2020, like r- like right as lockdown was happening. I actually thought we might have beat lockdown by a week or two, and then we didn't. And it was mm-hmm. like, all right, well we're we're halted. And then you know, you wait until you can do it safely and until it makes sense again. And by the time this year came around, uh, it did make sense, and it was. Uh, a, there was an ability to do it in a way that could keep everybody safe. And so that's what we did. But I don't know. It wasn't like, it's not really a hard decision to make. It's like, it, oh yeah, people might die if you do your show. It's like, oh, well then we're not doing the show. So, well, I guess I mean, in terms of like, you know, Bo Burnham just put out his special completely in isolation. Uh, there's, there's different ways to go about doing it. So yeah, yeah. I think I didn't that, know how much you were like. Well, I want to be the first one back, <laughs> or oh, uh, or yeah. do I want to wait a little while, let people get comfortable, and then do it? Yeah, no that 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 makes sense. I I understand what you mean now. I I for me, I don't know if any of that stuff really mattered to me. Like first one back, first first whatever is like. If something is is good and resonates with people, it's going to resonate with people. So, you know, people, if, if people can, you know, find a thing on Instagram enough to make it viral, then like how, how many things are buried on Instagram, you know? So I, I, I don't think that those were necessarily my considerations. I was only ever concerned with the jokes and the the subject matter because to me it felt like I absolutely had to to nail coming back like like if you know people talk about first one back or the first thing from something but right. I feel like if you don't nail it then then why were you there at all and that's been my my main focus is like are these jokes especially the pandemic related jokes do they sum up what I've been thinking well enough to match what someone who I have never met is also thinking about the same thing. Right. Because yeah, you'd have to imagine 
you know, we talk in this industry about parallel thinking. You'd have to imagine there's so many comedians who are going to the comedy cellar or clubs across the country and doing the same premises. Because, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone's thought about Zoom and everyone's thought about quarantines and everybody's thought about masks and everybody's thought about all of these things. Mm-hmm. And and so and the, once again, because everyone went through it, everyone is going to have a take on it, whether it's really funny and original or not. And so that was the other thing where I was like, what is the most different thing that I could say? And that's also where I got to like try to dig deep and and you know i i made lots of attempts and i think i was successful at doing jokes about something that we all went through but i i at least have never heard anyone have that take and that to me is the success of of having to write something in less time than you would normally have so josh since you were so good about answering my question four years ago about mm-hmm. what the next five years are going to hold for you personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, this time, instead of asking you for your own personal goals, okay. I, I want you to help predict slash inspire the comedy industry. What, okay. do you, what do you hope the comedy industry will be like five years from now? I, I think that there's going to be a more decentralized approach to how people get quote unquote big or successful. And I think that especially the more innovative and the more junior people right now that are in the industry are going to see and accept that maybe before their, their superiors and they're going to be bracing themselves for it in a way that's, um, that's both beneficial to them as an industry that will stop them from becoming irrelevant, but will also bolster the new up and coming comics and some of the comics that aren't new or up and coming, but are adaptable. And, and I think that it's going to create a new, instead of a schism, I think it's just going to create a, a, a broad enough brushstroke of comedy that now you can lean into those brushstrokes and see the, the spectrum for what it is. And you'll start to see a development of genre in comedy much more than you get now. Right now, even, even with as nuanced as comedy gets, people are still basically stand-up sketch or improv as if there's only three versions of comedy. But I think within sketch, within stand-up especially, you're going to see people... Uh, really explore what a very specific type of of stand up is like. It is crazy to think that comics is different as uh, you know Chappelle and Gallagher are doing the same thing. They are technically doing the same thing, but there's no way that they're the same thing. You would never go to one person's show expecting what the other person does, and I think that that's going to start to be reflected as more and more of the old guards um, methods for measuring success become a little bit more obsolete because there's just, there's, there's too much influence, talent and money out there to do things the same way. You wouldn't even still have the same phone that you had 10 years ago. True. Now see Josh, uh, I, I love that. Not only that you answered that question, but how you answered it because I was thinking, and maybe this is also a generational uh, difference. I wrote over the weekend with with some of the things that were happening in our industry. I wrote that I I had hoped personally that the pandemic 
would have lasted longer. So we would have had more of a reckoning in the industry. But instead, what we found over the last year and a half is individual comedians, individual bookers, individual clubs take the heat. But the industry as a whole seems pretty much the same as it was before. And I feel very cynical about all of that. But your answer was so much more hopeful. <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> and so I'm really glad that I asked you because you you allowed me to end this podcast on a much more hopeful note than, than, this, <laughs> than this cynical bastard on the other end of the microphone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Only one of us is going to be right. I hope it's me. But, you know... <laughs> Your your thing is not it's not as if it's not plausible. I I think that as long as uh, you can either if you want to change something, especially in a big way, you can either fight the form or fight the shadow. And I think to your to your point, clubs individuals are the shadow of the overall form that that people want to mold or change or you know or see shifting. And I think that for the most part. <sighs> A lot of it does come down to things that are a little bit let a little bit more shallow. Uh, so as long as people are making tons of money doing the things the way that they're doing them, why would they change? But I think that even the money is going to start to show itself shifting in, in, in the sources of income that, that we see from entertainment and, and, and how the, the attention is grabbed is, is, already shifting it hasn't changed enough for things to change but i think that that is that's inevitable well josh i hope we're both right because both <laughs> both things need to happen so, yeah, I, yeah. Hope, so I hope we're both right yeah uh, and in the meantime i know that your mixtape and your special will do some positive good so oh well thank you, you. So thank i appreciate it thank you for yeah. that thanks for having me oh it was my pleasure This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Things first.